What if you could learn from physical product entrepreneurs that have risen up from the trenches to dominating their market by creating successful physical product brands? Well, this podcast is hosted by me, Kunay Campbell, and it's about breaking the mold to becoming a smarter, savvier, and better product entrepreneur. You discover how to take physical products from concept through launch and to scaling up from physical product entrepreneurs who've taken their revolutionary ideas to 1 million, 10 million, and 50 million plus in revenue businesses. You'll also join me on my journey to build a million dollar physical product brand business in a year, where we both will learn about crowdfunding, selling to retail chains, launching through marketplaces like Amazon, strategic partnerships, publicity, celebrity endorsements, and selling direct to consumers. So if you're creating or building a brand in the consumer packaged goods space, in fashion and apparel, business products, or any physical product niche, listen in because we have you covered. Join the fast track to physical product business success. This is the Physical Product Business Podcast. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. Welcome to the Physical Product Business Podcast, part of the 2X e-commerce podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about a very unique marketplace, physical product marketplace that merges traditional e-commerce with the scalability of online marketplaces. Now, I have a very special gentleman who is the founder of the marketplace called Tirith Kanda. The name of the marketplace is called True facet and it's an online marketplace for online for pre-owned luxury watches and jewelry um, they're tech star seattle graduate if i'm correct they recently announced um seven million um dollars founding round um without further ado i'd like to welcome tira to the show welcome tira no thank you very much yes thank you for having me on the uh, on the short uh, uh, uh okay okay fantastic fantastic okay let's start off with you coming up with your background a bit of your background and um how you came about the idea let's talk about your background what is your background here yeah absolutely so i uh thank you for having me on the show so my background is i came from the jewelry and watch industry i spent a decade in it my family business has been in it for 45 years, then being one of the larger organizations. And that's where I firsthand saw uh, all the traditional problems in a massively fragmented industry and knew there could be a better platform to be created around efficiencies and authenticity, solve the counterfeiting problem, the pricing problem, and give a really fair, trustworthy solution. But then I spent six years in the internet space because I just love technology and the way you can leverage technology to disrupt traditional markets. Uh, like the jewelry and watch industry, because the jewelry and watch industry, if you really think about it, it's like the Wild West. There's all this trading activity happening among 20,000 retail stores. Prices are all over the place. There's For the same Rolex, if you go to 10 different places, you'll get 10 different prices to buy and sell. It makes no logical sense. The stock market doesn't have Apple stock trading in 10 different prices in arbitrage. But I spent then, or early days, I joined uh, this fund called uh, Lightbank, which was uh, the, a fund that incubated Groupon and helped them as an entrepreneur in residence, build an internet pawn shop, uh, business school at Kellogg. And right before uh, True Facet, I uh, was one of the marketing leads at fab.com, based in New York City, where we helped really scale up that business uh, from a marketing and brand perspective. And uh, January 2014, I uh, started building uh, True Facet with my co-founder, Chris Chan. Right. It, it is, you, you've got a really interesting background. Three things I picked up is one, um, your family business. Um, the, the other was, um, the incubator you're at. Um, and then your experience in, in, in just, in, is it fab.com or just fab? It was fab.com. Fab, no, fab fab.com. Fab fab. 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 Yes. Um, 
all of that coming in and then your tech stars, you know, um, you know, um, experience, all of that blending in for you to, to create in your true facets with your, with your, um, with, with, with your co-founder, Chris Chan. Um, should we track back into your family business? Um, what, what exactly do, do your family, are they into the jewelry business? How long have they been in and how did you sort of see these, these gaps? Do you ever work for your family business? Oh yes, I spent about te- almost ten years in my family uh, enterprise, and uh, and uh, they've been around. Their business been around over forty five years. I remember when I was growing up as a young child, my father quit his job to start this company. He went on the road hustling to just get. Uh, the, he built a B two B business around you know supplying diamonds and finished jewelry products to retail mm-hmm. stores around the American markets, and then eventually global markets and. And uh, you know now the family business is extremely large with other family members. My two young brothers are still there. And uh, one of the things I saw because we we sell to thousands of retail stores, right? And over the years, offline business started going on. So I saw three major trends. First of all, as the years went on, online started growing three times faster than offline. So mm-hmm. the consumer behavior shift happened, where consumers said. Online's becoming more trustworthy. I have a lot more variety. I have a lot more education. And it just feels a little bit more transparent than the potential offline markets. And, and going into an, uh, a jewelry store started becoming more and more intimidating for, for the newer consumers, or I call them the new savvy affluent audience. Mm. So that's one trend. Two was a counterfeiting problem, right? There's a lot of like Rolexes out there that you know may have real parts, but the, but the strap or the dial or the mm. movement aftermarket as a result that's like removing the engine of a car so it's no longer makes it so there's a major counterfeit problem and there's a lot of other marketplaces both online and offline that are peer-to-peer and you never know if you're actually going to get a quality item that's authentic so that's a major problem especially buying high ticket items mm-hmm. that becomes a major concern right i mean you would you ever buy a rolex not knowing if you're going to what you're going to get is going to be real and it's going to be a quality piece mm-hmm. last thing was a pricing issue I mean, I saw people shopping around and how can you go for the same jewelry item? Let's say you're trying to sell an item. I guarantee that you're going to 10 different places, you've got 10 different prices yeah. to sell your item. And same thing if you want to buy your item. And there's, and it doesn't feel like it's too opaque for, for, for a general uh, uh, audience, right? And, yeah. uh, uh, and I saw this, the industry constantly shift at much faster pace. There was a company called BlueNile.com that entered a space in the diamond industry at the time, and they changed the behavior of that. But the massive part of the industry is the finished designer jewelry, like Cartier, Tiffany, Van Cleef, and, and those type of products, and the, and the famous watch brands. And nobody built a massive business. And so that's how I knew there has to be a better way to deliver better service, especially after I saw two of my own friends get uh, stuck with uh, counterfeit watches. I was like, I can't, I can't believe they did it. And they said, yeah, they would never buy it without, without uh, a trustworthy service again. So that's, that's where uh, uh, the right. idea was hit. But after my tech experiences where I connected the dots. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, just tracking back to your tech star Seattle you know, experience, um, how long were you there for? It's, a, it's an incubator for those of you who, who are not aware of the listing um, or watching. Um, so, so how long were you in tech stars? What, what took you there? Was it nerve wracking when you applied? You know, to, to track us, take us there. Please. Yeah, I mean, is it usually about a thousand companies apply, 10, 10 get in, and, uh, and, and and even taking a step back, it's about, first of all, if you make any decisions about going to tech stars or raising capital, it's about 
first thing, okay, great, how is that going to actually benefit the company you're going to build and is it going to allow you to hit your milestones, right? Uh, so Techstars, even though we were based in New York City, we went to Techstars Seattle because one, uh, uh, it gave us a larger network in the West Coast. Uh, of course, Seattle's a great, uh, a big home to some of the top e-commerce companies in this country. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was a great part. And lastly, uh, we've heard wonderful things from other folks that went through the Techstars program. Right. In kind of, we felt at that time, it was literally just three people in our company that it would be a great opportunity in summer of 2014, we went there for three months, to really help elevate our business to the next inflection point. Okay. Uh, that's exactly what Techstars uh, did for us. It's very interesting. How many other e-commerce um, companies were side by side you at Techstars from the ten that applied in um, that actually made it in September 2014? Well, there was one other. Okay. Do you know the name? Yes. Like it was. It was called Garmentary. Garmentary. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. That that is very 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 interesting. Okay. So in in Techstars. How established was um, was was True Facets? Was it was it an idea, or had you sort of seen product market fits, and then tried to use um, you know TechStars to you know find your inflection points, as you put it? Yeah, and so we really wanted to get to uh, our early product market fit before mm -hmm. we even got into TechStars or even went through the application process. Uh, you know, just myself coming from my own experiences working in the internet space for six years and at the same time worked for venture capital is uh, a company for about uh, six or eight months uh, when I was like venture. And I, I'm a big believer of you have to have a strong customer value proposition that's proven out, very clean and clear and connect and find that one, right? I mean, in, over time, your business may have two, three, four, five, six different product market fit situations based yeah. on the services and features and products you offer, but at least have that one and focus on that one so that you don't make things. And so for us, was early on when we were set sail in January 2014, starting to build truefacet.com okay. out of my living room in Tribeca here in New York City. Wow. Um, we really went after a core value proposition of sellers are going to get a transparent best price guarantee for their items. Buyers are going to get an authentic item, transparent pricing. We're going to deliver a platform like that. And, and so before we even started in Techstars, which was right around August of 2014, we had product market fit by July. Well, okay, let's let's track back to the product market fit. What, what did, did you put out a website out there? Did you just have a landing page? Um, how many customers had you initially sort of, um, you know, um, gotten up to the point of say July, from January to July of um, 2014? Yeah, so January 2014 is when the building process started, right? Okay. We officially had something on the internet in May 2014. And when I look back to that, we made it a very clean, simple, platform. And I'm a big believer, you can spend six months, eight months, one year building an e-commerce website or a marketplace website. But frankly speaking, you're going to put in so much time and energy, a lot of complications, and you won't know if it really works or where product market fit will come from until you actually get it out there and, and analyze user behavior. So we've got it out there in like January 24th, we set the strategy to plan how are we going to deliver the chicken egg egg problem of supply, which which we I'm sure we'll talk a lot about. Later. That's exactly and, in the marketplaces. Marketplaces. So you know, we said, this, uh, but we'll get to it soon. But we'll control supply. We'll analyze user behavior. So when I, we got the site up in May 2014, 
I'm a data-driven marketer by trade and a, and a user experience product guy. I was monitoring behavior, how people behave, how they interacted, and then we started speaking to every customer. Once we hooked them in, we emailed them, asked if we can do a phone call, give them a gift card for it. And, and, and I suppose the unique thing about that is because, you know, um, what they are, the reason they're on your site um, is due to something of high value. Yes. They'd be more than happy to have that conversation with you. So, yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> Just no, absolutely. To... No, and, and more important for us, we wanted to make sure that we're going to build a long-term business that delivers value every day, right? Mm -hmm. And figure out what that unique differentiation value is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how we uh, uh, got the product market fit. And and pretty much by uh, July of 2014, uh, um, we, we had that initial connection with the consumer and then we actually started redesigning and revamping the platform based on early user feedback. Okay. We launched that in October 2014 while we were at Techstars and then just started scaling up. That, that's when we started growing about 120% on a quarterly sales growth. Okay, Th that, that is very interesting. Um, one question I have is where did you get the traffic from? That's a great question. Traffic uh, and early on, uh, if you're, uh, we did not take any investment money, right? So it was literally my my capital and my co-founders' capital, our own money. New York City can kind of to be a very expensive place very fast, so yeah. it's not uh, uh, it's, it's not the easiest place from a living standard to build a build a startup from scratch. But uh, we knew that we needed to hit key milestones and we knew how much capital that we had saved up for, for, run, uh, for runway to be able to live. The way we got that traffic is we didn't do any paid marketing, right? I mean, because there's, the right. thing is, you, I just can't start throwing ads on Facebook and Google and everything. I started leveraging, I made a list of bloggers. I made a list of bloggers that I worked with in the past, so leveraging those relationships. Uh, figure out where key influencers in our market are that speak to consumers. Started getting out there and talking to them and telling them about what we're trying to build. Tell them that you can really help us tell us tell the story. And two, if items start selling, we'll give you a revenue share for it. Okay. And more importantly, our items were in the thousands of dollars, so your revenue share would be pretty nice, right? Handsome so, reward, yes. Yes, I mean, uh, you sell a $2,000 item from us and I'm giving you $100 versus you selling a $50 t-shirt from somewhere else. You don't get that much on the bottom line. And that helped get that initial traffic. Once we got that traffic, we kind of built programs that figure out how they can go invite more consumers and started building that. And that's how we got the initial traffic, started getting sales on the monthly sales growth. Okay. And then right before Techstars is when we raised our okay. seed round. Two two questions. Um, I'll start out with the first. First is, um, uh, what did you have any targets with regards to traffic you were looking to acquire? Were you looking for like a hundred thousand visits initially to, to 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 arrive at a conclusion to something statistically significant, or um, what, what numbers did you have in your head from a traffic standpoint? For us, I'm a big believer of traffic. You has to be relevant, mm -hmm. not traffic for the sake of traffic. So um, it wasn't really number. Our numbers were really low at the beginning. And our, our first month, we probably pulled in 5,000 visitors. Mm -hmm. uh, 5,000 visitors, if I can convert even 100 of those at average order values in the thousands, it becomes a nice first month, second month, third month revenue. 
And as we saw those visitors, it was more important for us not to get to a million visitors extremely quickly. No, to understand who the demographics, the customer segments were. And it's very critical. I think I see a lot of startups is losing sight of who the real consumer is. And figure out, great, once you figure out those little pockets of customers, build profiles and personas around them, and then say, where are the better customers similar to those, almost like lookalikes going to come from? Mm-hmm. Then start going after Because then what that allows you to do because you're you don't have much early on it's like two three people you really don't have much time and you have to pick and fight your battles very yeah. smartly it's you don't want to be out there trying to talk to thousands of bloggers in the wrong so, customer so, segment so, so that's how we did it so, so was 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 customer segmentation at the time a manual process or automated you know we have the likes of facebook creating look alike you know audiences and you know establishing you know what were your audience you know segments are very manual so we interesting were, we would get customers uh, download. We would then figure out, great, uh, in Google Analytics, which is pretty manual, because all you have is a pixel on your site that's picking up. We look at where they're coming from, try, try to backtrack their behavior. We email them to speak to them. Then we understand if they're a male or female, their gender, and their kind of likes and dislikes and how much they buy jewelry. And then we figure out, okay, great, where did that specific person through from Google Analytics actually initially come from? Wow. So then we, then we connect it back to channels. Then we just start building like pockets of segments and say, okay, these people spent this much money on TrueFast, these spent this much, these came here. But then you have to also think about scalability, right? Where ultimately, you may get a good batch of consumers that are spending a lot, but guess what? There's not millions of them out there. Yeah. So then we did like a market share analysis and where, where we can we can uh, get more of these consumers. Very, very, very interesting stuff. Okay, now let's talk about the chicken and egg you know, situation. Which came first? Buyers or, or sellers? How, how did, how was week one like? Oh yeah, no, oh I, I definitely remember those. The week well, one. Did you sell your stuff? Were you the sellers <laughs> yourself? I wish I had that much stuff to sell. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we had a lot of our own capital in this business. I did not have any uh, uh, thing to sell. No, uh, the number one thing in marketplaces is that if you can control one side while you are building the other. That's a gold mine. I mean, but you have to control that side and know that you have full control and understand the levers and drivers. For us with supply, and our secret sauce has been supply since day one. And I came from the industry. Uh, globally, I have massive aggregators and folks around the world that can aggregate supply for us. And and, and we did it really manually at the beginning. I remember me and my co-founder just literally cold call, calling and getting on the phone with all my relationships and starting to aggregate supply, running around on the streets of New York, meeting companies and literally saying they're typing up Excel sheets and taking photography on our own, getting it up, getting it up. Because we're like, we want a thousand items by the time we launch. We want a thousand items and we want a, we want a mix of items too because at the end of the day, we don't know what may stick initially, right? Mm-hmm. So we said, let's have a mix that's going to help us as consumers are coming. We'll understand, okay, is it a certain type of watch? Is it a certain price point? Is it jewelry? And then we'll figure out how to go deep over, over time in a marketplace. So initially launched with a thousand items. We had a combination of a lot of our friends selling their items, as well as we had global jewelry trade, watch and jewelry businesses. Okay, so that was the first, I would say that's what we started in January. And it took a couple, two and a half months to do all that. Yeah. At the same time, the site was being built. So when we initially launched, we had supply under control because every week we were adding on 100 or 200 items on our own. Then it was all about demand. 
and bring that traffic over, which is uh, exactly you. the way we did it. Okay. And as that traffic came over, those buyers, many of them became sellers. Many of the sellers then became buyers. And then over time, we grew it. And then through data, we kind of optimized the middle and really started building the community. Yeah. Now, if you look at TrueFacet, we have like technology and systems and hooks that have completely built a massive competitive advantage around authenticity supply, uh, the, the supply hooks, as well as an operations network around it. So. It's, it's a cycle, really. Okay, so, so what's what's the setup now at the minute? Um, how many tech guys do you have? How many, how many people in marketing do you have? Do you, still be, do you still have people working the phones? What's the setup like at True Facets now? Yeah, we're based in Midtown, Matt, and we're, we're a little bit over 35 people now. Okay. Uh, we're hiring about 10 folks. Uh, so uh, our organization has definitely grown. Good. We just moved into our new offices two weeks ago. Cause well, congrats. We, we, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, we had to get out of the old one. People were literally sitting on top of each other. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was interesting. Imagine having a, a bunch of people in a very small office. Uh, it, it was, but no, we're excited. Uh, and, and, and to answer your question, uh, you know, our, our, our tech and product team is around eight people. Okay. Uh, uh, marketing is around six. Uh, we have a team called a concierge team, not just customer service, because when we deliver an experience, one of our things, yes, we're offering you authenticity, the best pricing, and the best brands in the world to shop from. At the end of the day, it's really about the experience. How do you deliver a very special experience of shopping and selling children watches that's trustworthy? Yeah. Our concierge team goes above and beyond every day. So yes, there's email, chat, phone, and text messaging too. Wow. You can text message in your buying and selling request and you'll get real real folks on our team, like Rachel and Ian and others, like going out of their way to help you. And and that's who we are. We wanna be, we, we are the buyers and sellers friend in this industry. Mm-hmm. Interesting, very, very interesting. So um, let's track back to, to Techstars again. Um, you, you go into Techstars, August of 2014, when you came out three months, what was your key takeaway that led to your transformation? What what did you, yeah, what what, what learning points did you really, you know, get from Techstars to, to hit that inflection point as you alluded to earlier? Yeah, so the greatest thing, and if we're, okay, take a step back, Techstars, yeah. everyone should say, okay, before going to Techstars, what are your top three things you want to take away from Techstars? Because Techstars mm-hmm. or any other accelerator, there's so many folks, you get mentors, advisors, tons of meetings, and you'll be in meetings all day. But if you really know what are your top three biggest milestones and priorities, you will be able to cater and figure out, okay, great, who you should be meeting and that and what, what you should be doing. For us, we wanted to take our product and user experience to the next level. Mm-hmm. And we leverage Techstars to focus on that and focus on business development deals and partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. So we're at Techstars, we're like, great, we were already generating revenue. We had already raised a small seed round before Techstars. So we actually want to go to Techstars to first keep getting the best product managers, engineering, and user experience, advisors, and mentors to kind of help solidify the platform. And then two, really great, get some great partnerships and business development deals done. And lastly for us was about raising our much larger fundraising round. So coming out of Techstars, our another goal was we want to close a bigger round to be in the point of acceleration. So we kind of took the three months and broke it into pieces. Step one was solidify and make sure we got the most optimal user experience and product there is to deliver even better experiences to consumers, right? Mm-hmm. And launch the next set of features. Two was get some great partnerships and three was raise the capital. And that's that's how we ended Techstars. Did you do this each month? There are about three months through Techstars, is, is that right? It's over summer. 
Right. Um, so, so did you sort of sort out the UX and product, you know, um, in month one and then move into the BDEB in month two and, and eventually find, you know, was it all, you know, mishmash um, over that three month period? Yeah, no, it was, it was, I would or say the parallel. venture yeah. funding kind of overlaps because the thing about it, and we'll get to much venture funding shortly, but it's venture funding is about really the relationships and getting to know your investors before taking their money because it is a long-term partnership. So it has to be yeah. a fit for both ends. Mm -hmm. So that we started with as we were doing partnerships. Uh, the first month, we really, really spent even more time on customer segmentation behaviors and leveraging that data to take the UI, UX, and product to the next level. That is also when we launched the marketplace feature. Because initially when TrueFast started, we were only a consignment concierge service. What that means is you had to send in your items. But then we actually launched the marketplace selling feature because many we saw a lot, a huge user behavior that people wanted to leverage their smartphones to take photos, put in details, and list an item on TrueFast really quickly rather than always sending it in. So we wanted to lower the friction. And so that was a major winning feature for us. So that was part of the UI UX that we did partnerships at the same time we closed the venture round. That's very, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. So, so do you have a mobile app for, for people to list on the marketplace? We're fully mobile responsive, and okay. so what we did is we built the mobile responsive app to be an amazing selling experience. Okay. Uh, we, we, we are going to be launching uh, uh, sometime over the next year or so a great mobile app experience. Okay. Uh, for the educational side, for your listeners, I'm a big believer. You, you, in your first year, you will not know what your mobile apps should eventually be like. You need to make sure you really understand enough user behavior and have a lot of data. because. The app we are we would build now is very different than the one we would have built a year ago, and very different than the year before. And and it's like kind of having enough mobile data. That to, I mean, sixty eight percent of our traffic right now is mobile. <laughs> so now we have so much mobile information that we know exactly the best app to build for customer. Because the number one thing that we preach here is that customer experience is always the top priority and we do not want to launch and build something that's going to be bad for users very 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 interesting okay um yeah so one reason you know i was very interested in talking to you is because um you're you're, you're quite a unique model you're not just a marketplace you also handle physical products could you sort of um, explain how this works because you know most most people when they hear about marketplaces they think about you know the likes of eBay um, you know Gumtree Craigslist and, and the like it's more or less a, a technology platform that um, pretty much facilitates you know communications between commercial communications basically and potentially will you know act as, an, as a, to hold money basically um, and, and pass it on pretty much a platform a technology platform but you guys actually touch assess you know um jury which, which is unique in itself so so you're yeah could you yeah um flesh it out for me please no absolutely yeah. no uh yeah so yeah you have a lot of marketplaces like etsy ebay and several others that are pure peer-to-peer -peer, right exactly uh, you make an order uh you ship the item straight to uh the buyer and those folks in the middle really don't have much control over that. So except for verifying payment and other security things. For us, these are expensive items, right? I mean, now we have items that sell for $500 up to $100,000. I mean, we sold a $140,000 Patek Philippe watch in December. Yeah. And we see $50,000 orders coming through every week. And 
when those type of things happen, let's think like a customer here. They want to make sure it's a quality controlled experience and not somebody just shipping them an item and they don't know what they're if they're really going to get what they really ordered. So for us, controlling a controlled marketplace was really important. So I'm a big learner of control. Everything the market is all based on the type of industries you're in. You should understand how much control you need to put on it to deliver the most optimal customer experience for yeah. us. So when an item is listed on TrueFacet before it sells, it's already gone through quality control. Right. One, we use image recognition. We can uh, to understand if a Rolex watch is, uh, has aftermarket dial or 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 the trade the markings on the piece of jewelry don't look like they're correct. So we can filter about a third of items just based on that. Then it goes through pricing. So pricing engine kind of picks up through leveraging millions of millions of pieces of data we have. And what's a fair, transparent price based on transactional information that we have from past sales? So we built a lot of, I'll call it regression statistical models to kind of drive that. Mm -hmm. And lastly, it goes through a quality image cleaning solution before it goes up there so it looks nice and beautiful and consistent for the buyers. Because... When you have, we have almost 80 plus thousand items right now and we're processing sometimes 10,000 pieces a week yeah. at, at a peak, I mean, probably 1,000, 2,000 a week. You have to have all these control elements, but when people are looking for five plus thousand items, they don't want to look at imagery and other things that don't look great or don't really bring the item to its real, true life, as I call it. So then once the item is sold, it never gets to the end buyer unless it's gone through our team of experts. Uh, you know, we have experts who understand how to verify Rolexes, Tiffany, Cartier, and others, because an image will never tell you if something is white gold or sterling silver. I mean, right. nobody built that technology yet. So, <laughs> uh, and and then our true facet report is issued that gives you warranty and authenticity and quality promise, and we stand behind every item and. Uh, so when people get this item, they're getting a beautiful item with the report and they're excited. Uh, so, and we do all this, you know, point of checkout, we can do it as fast as two to three days. Right, so it's, it seems to me that you have every single listing has to be unique in itself, um, just due to the value. Because, you know, w when you look at Amazon and eBay, they have slightly different sort of um, approaches to showcasing, you know, products. So on eBay, you know, someone could be selling a Mac, a Mac laptop, and you have, you know, um, millions of listings of this, of different Mac laptops. But on Amazon, there's just a single listing of a Mac laptop with sellers listed under so it's very product focused on amazon so what approach do you take in true facet do you do you go um on a product by product you know on every ind individual sort of um listing or, or do you sort of um, focus on on the product so what we do is i'll give you an example if you have okay. a rolex submariner watch mm -hmm. right the problem with that the same watch you can have 10 of the same ones. They all 10 can be different. One may have the box. One may have the papers. One may have box and papers. One may be missing links. One may have a little scratch. So based on that, the pricing is also adjusted. Right. So unlike other marketplaces where you have a single listing if, or if you're selling brand new items, you can have a single listing and you can have 50 SKUs, multiple sellers potentially providing that item. We, we can't do that because every item is actually unique. And for us, it's building, making sure every single item is uh, shown in a transparent way to consumers. Uh, so that's the difference between our marketplace because every item, the majority of items, we only have one in, one in stock. Once it sells, 
you you won't be able to get it until another one actually is available in the market. So, so, so the, the photographs, so I'm, I'm on your website now, I'm, I'm on truefacet.com now, and um, I can see a Rolex Submarina um, 16610 um, with a photograph. Does that mean that um, once this is sold and someone else has this you know, um, watch to sell, you need to take photographs again? Or would you use the photographs you have you know, in your library and just um, make a point that, okay, this one we're selling does not have a box, for instance? Yeah. So that's a great question. 90% of the time we have to, the, 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 the photography is retaken wow. because it is going to be a different watch. But we have actually an automated solution that does that because most of our photography are pure, it's all user generated. So users are uh, actually taking photography. Our system that we build just cleans the photography. Wow. And makes How does it take such clean looking photographs? It's, it's, that has taken us two and a half years. To, to get get out the door. I uh, give uh, a lot of, uh, 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 I would say, dimensions for our tr- uh, chief technology officer on, right. on getting that done over a two and a half a year period. Uh, uh, it was it was work in progress, a lot of iterations, and, and uh, uh, but we know it's very important for consumers. Two, the other 10% of the time, we know that we're going to get back the same item because we do work with the global jewelry and watch businesses. We have tens of thousands of the jewelry businesses globally right. selling through us. Yeah. So if they're constantly providing the same item to us, we don't need to retake that image, okay. right? So, From the professionals, okay. That is correct. Right. Um, yeah, that, that is, that, that's very, very, very interesting. And one other thing I wanted to just um, mention, it's not really a question, is you know when you're selling such expensive you know, personal jewelry, um, user experience is absolutely important and you know photography is really important and, and just being on the site both on a mobile and desktop just drives that touch a very high touch experience which you know um, probably you know w- which just gives that much confidence to to people who've um, who are coming on your website you know for the first time one question I have is um, how long does it take how many visits does it take um, um, visitors to either leave their details or actually, you know, get in touch with, with yourselves. Do they, is it usually on first visits or do they, you know, have, do they, do they come a, n- a number of times um, before they start to, to engage, you know, with you? No, so it all, okay, so that's a great question. It depends on the value of the item. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if it's an item, usually an average of under $10,000, we've seen the large majority of our sales happening in less than three days from the first visit. So they okay. close that gap in less than three days. And, you know, as you build a business over time and have a lot of great uh, uh, value that's known to the mass audiences, the, you're going to be able to close that loop even faster and faster. But And, and then if the owner item is above 10000 we definitely see our concierge team being a lot more helpful to them. People call, people chat with them. They get to know the company better. And, and primarily, we want to be there to help them and guide them in every step of the way before, during, and after the sale as well. So even when the customer purchases from us, we never forget them. We're always reaching out to make sure they're satisfied. Fantastic. Before we wrap up, um, I'd like to know what marketing is like um, today in 2017. It's interesting. I believe marketing right now is the new generation of content marketing. Uh, we've seen that uh, the content side of marketing and storytelling has taken off to the next level. I mean, the content marketing, I was, I, I think, is just basically with, via social media and other channels has in this nascent stage just taken off in the last six to seven years. But I've seen in the last year and a half 
it started elevating to the next level of storytelling. Like, what's unique? What's 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 really different about you and and why your content is different? Because there's so much content out there in the world so right much. now, and you have to really take your position based on what your brand is. So, we internally have produced a lot of content around what education around this industry, right? How do you tell the difference between a real Cartier brace and a fake? Mm-hmm. What are the trends? What are the information when you're buying a Rolex or any other type of watch? What should you be looking for? So we become a thought leader. And and that's how we put that out there. And we, we use multiple channels via Facebook, social media, Instagram. And even we have something we call True Wednesday. So every Wednesday is our content day. We send it out to a news blast to our users. And as a result, they're, they're able to experience uh, the whole True Facet world. That's fascinating, fascinating. And um, what content types do you see working? Um, video, images, um, blog post content? Yeah, also I'm a big, yes, yeah, so less words are better. So mm-hmm. imagery, video, uh, for us, like really showcasing the behind the scenes is huge for us because there's so much to offer in what we do here in terms of our processes and people, mm-hmm. and 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 we do uh, a lot of work to bring that to life to the to the world and the audience. Okay, fantastic. You did mention that you're going to talk about um, the. Um the, the figure I, 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 I brought up at the start of the show, which was in my notes. Um, do you want to put some clarity there, please? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, uh, first of all, I'm, uh, I apologize. I'm not uh, potentially sure where, where, where that number came from, but uh, our sales in 2016 grew four times over 2015. Okay. We're on track to uh, crush that number this year. Uh, uh, our figure that that you brought up is actually uh, uh, larger than that. Uh, right. So that's that's maybe that's all I can say. But yeah, uh, and I want to bring that up because I want to make sure yeah. that, uh, that that you have accurate information, sure. but it's definitely much larger than that. So uh, Transparency, okay. okay. Hope I can just leave it leave right. it as that. All right. Do, do, do you also factor in? So, what what happens with um, with payments? Um, does does everything come through yourselves? You know, and is that tracked in as revenue? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so there's two things on payment. So everything comes through us. So we process uh, in marketplaces. I would say. Uh, the sales number is called gross market value or GMV, or some people call it GMS, gross market sales. So all the transaction values come through us. Uh, we pay the seller out. We we basically have a percentage cut that we maintain. That's basically dynamic pricing. We don't have flat percentages. Okay. Uh, reason is that every item should be priced differently because. Uh, all jewelry and all watches are not the same and we want to make sure we're maximizing value back to the seller and value back to the shopper Uh, and then lastly we provide security and fraud protection around that so right now people you could be afraid of selling to somebody else not knowing if you're going to get a charge back not knowing if that seller is actually fraudulent I mean the buyer is fraudulent or not we protect you from all that because we have systems in place and as a result we actually take the risk so sellers never have to take the risk. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you in, in my notes um, what your thoughts are on the difference between trust and security. Yeah. So the the big difference is, I believe trust is something that you build and have with your consumers. For us, as buyers and sellers of the marketplace, and how do you build a trusted community? So buyers and sellers to be able to interact in a very trusted, fun way, uh, and the way we do that is. That what I mentioned earlier, going out of our way in every single touch point to make sure we're there for uh, con- uh, every consumer. We will tell you the good and the bad. If there's an item that 
has links missing or the item has a dent or a scratch and we'll be priced down but we will tell you that because we want to be very honest with, with with every consumer and security is around great how do you add the protection layers of around fraud programs uh make sure they're having a very uh secure experience and their data is well protected uh payments are protected and the people are getting paid in a timely manner that's that's what we call security and that's uh, all these pieces have to come and we have close to about 80 or 90 moving parts on the on the platform that have to come together in order to build an amazing experience absolutely makes makes a lot of sense and um, yeah, i'm on the same page with you okay um finally what about um international expansion your international expansion plans what 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 are we looking at when are you going to come to the uk well, I mean, I love the UK and the European market, so right. definitely I'm sure we have to be there very soon. Uh, and uh, so the, talking about international expansion, uh, about, you know, uh, a good chunk of our sales does come organically from global markets. We lead over 25 markets right now. Uh, it's the demand side. But in terms of focus, I'm a big believer that when you're building a business, be very focused because you can stretch yourself very thin. We've been only focused on the U.S. market in terms of demand side. But our supply is global right now. Wow. So my operations network that is coming from global tickets yeah. and we've out next to right now demand side uh, but over and uh, you know as the next year and two years go on we will plan okay okay uh, a strategic way so <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds really really good this will be a very very interesting conversation but before i let you go i have what's called a lightning round it's pretty much a set of four or five questions um i ask quite randomly to every single guest of mine and if you can answer every question with um, a single sentence, it'd be perfect. Ready when you are. Go for it. All right, let's do it. Okay, so how do you hire people? I look for passion and drive. Passion and drive, good. What are your three indispensable tools for managing your business? Good question. Uh, my, my metrics dashboard, okay. my weekly meetings with key leadership across the organization, and then spending time with my wife, because that that would <laughs> that's that's really really important. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, what are your future plans? My future plans is keep launching brand new features that's going to keep adding liquidity to the marketplace. Best marketplace in the world, liquid. We launched a trade-in program called True Trade, and we're uh, that's growing faster than even expected. And we got several others. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Okay, um, it's a bit of a curveball question, but um, let's go for it. What's been your best mistake to date? That By that, I mean a setback that's given you biggest feedback. I would say the biggest feedback, and not necessarily setback, but going back to the point I just brought up, we launched this program called True Trade, which is our trade-in. So you can swap products, you can trade and trade up. And we launched it uh, uh, thinking that, you know, it's going to grow at a nice, uh, stable place. No, it actually has been growing three and a half to four times faster than expected. And there's people on our team that are so overwhelmed that they're actually, we're, we're supposed to get back to consumers in less than 48 hours. We're literally trending on day four trade five and so uh, one thing is you know probably you have uh, launched that potentially to only 25 percent of our users would have been great uh, we beta tested for six months it worked so well uh, if we launched it to 25 percent as we ramped up but you know we we said let's get it out there people love it and now we're gonna uh, we're, we're basically fixing optimizations to make sure we can get back to people faster and that's primarily hiring a couple more folks yeah that's a good problem to have them yeah <laughs> okay. Okay. Finally, if you could choose a single book or resource that's made the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Uh, 
Yeah, I would say resources for us primarily. I mean, the number one thing was getting some of the best advisors and board members around the table. Mm -hmm. It is very important. As you build your business, you are going to have a board of directors. Mm -hmm. Your key venture capital investor will be on it. You want to make sure you got the right people around the table because by not having the right board members can make for a very, very tough time and very tough time to grow the business the way it's supposed to be grown. So, you know, we have great leadership from the industry. For example, a gentleman named Francois Crest, who used to be the CEO of Bulgari, Prada, recent Carolina. Mm-hmm. Great person by the name of Andrew Block, who's a leader in the watch and jewelry industry for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. A great investor such as Mavron, uh, was Harvard Schultz Fund, and a gentleman by the name of Jason Stouffer is on our board. And we, these are, and I have several other advisors that we put around the table to cover every key angle of the business. Mm-hmm. And so we have thought leadership, uh, that I leverage to really help drive growth. Now, I'll, I, I think my major regret in this interview was not actually talking about funding because you, you did talk about you going through one one founding round before Techstars. And um, the notes I have um, says that you you you, you, made, you recently raised seven million, you know, back in um, I think November of last year. Um, I don't normally do this, but could we touch just very 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 briefly on um, your founding rounds and? Um, any tips you have to the audience on, on funding on, on, on raising funding? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give a quick tip first mm-hmm. and I'll go into how we how we how we did it. So okay. quick tip is raise funding because you know exactly what milestones you hit. So lay your milestones down and then take a step back. Be like, okay, what's your milestone six months, year, year and a half to two years, right? And because you want to go raise enough capital and buffer it too, because it's not a straight road. You were going to put a milestone in place. It's not going to be a straight road. You're going to go in ups and downs, and you're going to figure out a breakthrough based on making adjustments. So raise enough capital. So great. Now you know exactly how much you're going to raise to get those milestones. And that's the most important. Two is make sure that you are meeting a lot of investors, getting to know them, having coffee, because it's a partnership. It's a long-term partnership. And not having the right investors can make make your life really bad and you want to make sure you got right supporters around the table and so that's what we did we got to meet a lot of folks our first funding run was in 2014 we raised 1.7 million dollars uh, six to eight months after uh, and that was primarily to get to the next milestones of just yeah. top growth and keep growing the market we raised almost another three million a year after Mavron of course led that round with, yeah. uh, with uh, our freestyle and then most recently uh, it was about Total eight and a half million in Series A, actually, okay. uh, uh, because we got uh, we put venture debt with a combination of equity on top, and it's primarily just make sure you have enough capital, enough runway to get to where you need to get to, uh, and then and, and just the right people around the table. The right people, okay, okay, all right, Tirath, it's been an absolute pleasure. This has been one of the best interviews I've had in in a while. Um, you're an absolute gentleman, and I wish you the very best. It looks like you're building out a marketplace that's required because you know the likes of eBay um, have clearly have issues and they cannot necessarily focus on so many aspects and this is where you can actually disrupt certain you know verticals and you guys are doing a fantastic job from the looks of things and, and the sound of things from, from what you've, you've said thank you so much 
No, thank you very much for having me, Kunlay. All right. Cheers. Do have a good one. And uh, um, everybody, yeah, um, the show notes will be ready. Just one final question. If people wanted to, um, other than um, engage with True Facets, you know, listeners, um, if they wanted to get in touch with you, follow you on, you know, social, um, what's the best platform and what are your handles? Well, no, absolutely. My, my, my Twitter handle is at okay. T-K-A-M-D-A-R-1. Okay. So, Okay. That's my Instagram handle as well. Okay. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much, Irat. And um, yeah, do have a good one. You too. All right. Bye.